And welcome back, everybody. It's time to talk real estate. Let's talk real estate. Your weekly BS with Barry Saywitz about the current commercial real estate market here in Southern California. As we take a no BS look at both sides of the equation and everything driving this market today to find the best solutions going forward with the man who's always looking forward, Barry Saywitz. Hey, Paul. Good morning. Uh, We're back here again. I'm Barry Saywitz, president of the Saywitz Company and Saywitz Properties. And in my 30-plus years in commercial real estate, I've been on all sides of the deal as a buyer and a seller, as a landlord and a tenant, as a broker and a principal. And I've learned to take a hard look at both sides to find the best solutions in commercial real estate transactions and navigate the ebbs and flows of the commercial real estate market. And we're back here again to talk some more real estate. So let's get to it and let's talk real estate. Uh, Before we get going, today's shout out, I'd like to give to uh, some of my old friends from high school of the Entomology Club who I saw recently was one of my first business ventures going way back, started out as a social club and then became a simple uh, issue of supply and demand, which sort of leads us into some of the discussions we're going to have today. And today's topic is commercial real estate lending. And with me is our guest, Dan Borland, uh, the executive vice president, head of commercial lending uh, and SBA lending for Pacific Premier Bank. Dan, welcome to the show. Great to be here, Barry. Thank you. Good to see you again. Thanks for coming. And so uh, you have been around commercial real estate and lending for a long, long time. You were with uh, Wells Fargo, you were with J.P. Morgan, you were with Opus Bank, and now uh, more recently with Pacific Premier Bank. I have been. I tell you, it's been 30 years. Can't believe it's been 30 years. I started out wanting to be a developer, an investor in the early years, uh, and I started working at a bank. It was Wells Fargo, uh, and I started being introduced to investors like you uh, and loved the front row feel that it was to be a, a banker, to, to be part of the projects, be part of the financing. And so 30 years later, still doing that, being a lender. Uh, worked at several different banks today, Pacific Premier Bank, uh, which I'll just a, a quick uh, snippet about uh, Pacific Premier. We are a $20 billion asset-based bank in Irvine, corporately headquartered in Irvine, seventh largest uh, Western region bank in the country. Uh, started in uh, actually 21 years ago, headed by Steve Gardner, who's the CEO and chairman. Uh, I joined 18 months ago. I was at Wells, minding my own business, uh, running Southern California. Got a phone call from those uh, from the guys at Pacific Premier. They said, hey, we're going to be buying Opus Bank. That was a bank you were familiar with. You know that team. You know those guys. Sure. We're going to put these two banks together and become a $20 billion uh, regional bank, and we need you to, to bring that history and heritage, bring it forward with us, and, and put it all together. And so we did that last year. Now, I made the decision to go there. On March 20th of 2020, I actually started there that first day. Yes, that was perfect timing. Perfect timing. Uh, we had a, uh, of course, we had the shutdown, and I was there so giddy and so excited about, about being at the bank. But the first day of the job was, um, hey, that billion-dollar pipeline of, of commercial real estate loans that we have, both on the Opus side and Pacific Premier, that was a billion on each side, two billion total. They said, um, we don't know the future. It's pretty murky. And so we basically kind of shut it all down back then. I know we're all tired of talking about the pandemic. I know we want to get that all behind us. It's almost a two-year story. But it's part of the, the heritage of, of, of commercial real estate lending our topic today. There was going to be $2 billion of, of, of financing in place. That all got shut down. But a couple quarters later, uh, take us to the summer of 2020, um, we started to realize that multifamily and that, that, that particular asset class People needed a place to live. They needed those projects built and financed. 
And so we, the water was still fine. So we went back, of course, um, put the two banks together, bought Opus on June 1st, uh, assembled the team, put the two cultures together and, and begin building that billion dollar pipeline back again. Um, really basically was back in August of, of last year. And so we haven't looked back since. And so it's, um, now what's interesting is, is that all of their 6,000 banks in the country, we all stepped back into that lending asset class. Um, and so a whole bunch of debt capital has, you know, is chasing and wanting to finance apartment buildings and mobile home parks. That means if you're a borrower or you're an investor in that asset class, it's been great. The rates have been good. The terms and conditions of your loans have been good. And so we're, we're continuing to just, again, focus on, on that particular asset class. It's still very healthy. Yes, it had some of its issues, but now we're um, looking back at its you know, high 90s occupancy, great performance, and, and we're very bullish on apartments. Sure. Well, and so we fast forward in today's environment, and, and as, as horrible as it was during the shutdown, it puts hair on your chest and it makes uh, everybody a little uh, thicker skinned. And now as you go forward, the market is hot. The lending market is hot. People are coming for loans. Some of these deals are a little bit crazy and a little bit thin. And you on the lending side have to navigate uh, is the borrower somebody I want to lend to? Is the property something I want to uh, lend to? And then you also have competition out there with all your peers. So what I want to do is start with, uh, in terms of just a high level, what is uh, the lending environment? I mean, you kind of touched on it, but it, it seems to me that there's a lot of dollars out there. Banks are willing to lend in general in today's environment. Correct. Sure. There, re- there really are. And I think I, if you were to say, hey, you know, we all need to make a business plan. We all want to do billions of dollars a year in financing. And, and I will tell you that there's, to be, to be funny, there's not, a, there's not enough meat in the jungle. We have, again, 6,000 banks. All of us have business plans. We all want to do loans. There, there's, there's more debt capital than there are buildings to finance and borrowers to lend to. And so um, it, it, it puts, it's putting pressure on consolidating the banking business. And that means that two banks are going to be one in a year. Three banks are going to be two in a year. That kind of thing is going to continue. So, I'm, you know, the sector itself, very healthy. But I'll tell you, there's just, there's just a lot of debt capital chasing fewer deals. And again, that's all great news if for the, the investor and the yeah. borrower. Rates, terms, conditions. We're staying very consistent in, uh, in discipline in our, in our loan uh, underwriting. There's nothing changing there. Um, there's, there's certainly pressure on, on rates being continue to be low, and that's a condition that's going to, I think, uh, be at least for the next year or so. Um, there's nothing that's going to really change that. Rates are still continue to be favorable, as those cap rates are in the projects as well. Yeah, and I think the average person, you know, I talk to people and they say, oh, I just refinanced my house and I got this. My commercial is a different ballgame in terms of the lending. But the simple answer is if you look at where uh, interest rates are today historically, they are historically low. And, and from my own experience with our own portfolio of real estate, we've been embarking on a path to be able to secure as long a term debt as we can to take advantage of that. And I think at the end of the day, that's going to prove to be uh, a, a bump to the value of the asset as opposed to if someday, which it will eventually go up, and then it's going to put pressure on the value and, and everything else. And so, you know, as the borrower uh, uh, for commercial real estate, I guess let's break it down in pieces because it really is different for different asset classes, right? So let's start with the bad and then work our way up to the really good. And and I don't want to say office is bad, but office is the tail wagging the dog at the moment because it's been so difficult uh, with getting people back to work and back in the office. From a lender's perspective, somebody comes to you with an office deal as an investor, non-SBA for a moment, 
and they want to buy an office building. How is the bank's view in terms of the office and the investment today versus long term? It's very, very careful and it's very, very selective. And I think, you know, going into the pandemic, the office market was already, uh, the Class B market was already kind of an issue. Um, and now forward to, to now, you're, you're absolutely right about what you're watching. People are going to maybe work from home half time forever. They all realize that they can take, if they are in 20,000 square feet of space right now, they can absolutely survive on 10 and live on 10. They don't need to be in Class A downtown CBD 24-7 you know, LA, yeah. San Francisco anymore. They can be out in uh, in Phoenix or wherever. So we're absolutely watching those values, those occupancies and all of that get affected. So as a bank, we're um, super careful and selective, but on the topic of office, what are we watching happen? We're seeing 70s and 80s vintage, uh, we'll call those class B glass, floor to ceiling glass office buildings, wherever they are being adaptively reused and turned into and converted into multifamily. They actually lend themselves well to being converted. And there's, there's stories in LA and Phoenix where we're financing those conversions and they're, they're coming out really cool. They're very nice projects. They're now in, in areas where there's a lot of residential growth. The cities want to regentrify those areas and turn those offices into, into multifamily. And that's absolutely happening. So I like that story. There's, we're going to be de-officing um, a lot of these markets. Yeah, I, I think there's, you know, from my perspective, there's really two themes. Certainly, you talk about location in real estate, and you talk about highest and best use. And so this conversion of office space into multifamily takes advantage of both of those things. The second is, it'll be interesting to see what happens, and I'm curious how the bank looks at it, in the dynamic of office leases. If my lease is coming up in the next year or so, I want to renegotiate the lease. I've got an opportunity to renegotiate in today's environment where rates are less per square foot than they would have been pre-pandemic. And then maybe I take a little less space or I spruce up my space or whatever I do. And then I think, I'm curious your thoughts, as the market starts to recover a year, 18 months, 24 months from now, you will see the rates start to climb back up again as the vacancy comes down. From an owner's perspective, if you have leases in place that go out two or three years, I think you'll be fine. But the issue is for people that have turnover, for people that have vacancy today as a lender, it's got to be a, a challenge to sit there and look at it and go, well, what are you going to do? It really is an issue. And I can tell you that that's, that's a real story going on with us now. And so we'll, we, what we'll do is we'll talk to our, our client that owns a building. It might be a Class B building in Costa Mesa. Um, and and we're, they've now got to go to their tenants. If they've got a year or two left, they've got to say, how about if I give you this rent? I'm going to make you a deal. This TI package, whatever you want, free rent. And, and please, by the way, sign a five, seven, or 10-year lease. You just increase, well, you, you increase the stability of the building, but also the value of the building. And now it becomes financeable. And now we'll do the loan, put that thing to bed for a while, and get us bridges to that future you're talking about, which is somewhat of a recovery. And, and to me, that's a win-win-win. It's a win for the landlord in that he secures the tenant for a longer period of time. It's a win for the tenant in that he gets a shot in the arm, he gets some concessions or some goodies, and it's a win for the lender because you get stability so you can feel more comfortable making the loan. Absolutely right. And that's really what's happening. You stick on the office for a second. The owner-user SBA, which you guys do a bunch of yep. as well, yep. different ball game than a guy who's coming in to just take risk and be the landlord. The guy who wants to, or the gal who wants to buy their own building uh, and then own it and looks at it as, hey, I really don't want to pay rent. I really want to control my own destiny. Is it a good time for somebody to buy? Number one, the rates are low, so I can rent for less, but prices are still high, but interest rates are low. 
And so it, for us, what we've seen is is really a dynamic. Hey, it's really expensive. I don't want to buy. Or hey, I'd rather buy and and not pay rent to somebody else and and get a good deal on my loan. Absolutely, and that that is absolutely happening. So these are small businesses across the country. We are a nationwide SBA lender. We're going to be lending at uh, you know 80, 85, and perhaps not not so much us, but a lot of our you know competitors are maybe going 90. So you're not putting a lot of equity into that building if you're a business owner. You might also have a credit profile that's a little bit lighter than, you know, they wouldn't be able to go out and get a conventional loan per se, an owner-occupied loan, but they'll get an SBA loan. Uh, the, you know, the, the, the credit conditions are a little different for those. Those are government-guaranteed loans. Right. So there's plenty of that happening, and we, we have a, a great program for that kind of, a, of an owner profile. I'm curious, but do you see that the activity for the lending on that side really driven by low interest rates? And the fact that somebody doesn't need to come up with a lot of money. I'll tell you, last year it really was slow, and now I will tell you, it just starting with third quarter of this year, it's now for us has is really picked up. It's yeah. very much picked up, and now we we're also very credit interested in doing as much of that business as we can. We were a little bit on pause last year, not not to keep dwelling on the pandemic, but we were they were on pause. Those borrowers weren't sure about their own businesses. Do I want to buy a building? Do I want to own this? Uh, now they're very confident, and they're very optimistic. So are we. So now we're watching our pipeline build. Yeah, no, I agree. In smaller uh, buildings, that market seems to be okay. It's the bigger ones that I think are going to be uh, something to watch. Correct. I will agree. So let's switch gears to industrial because industrial, uh, hot, right? Hot, hot. Uh, rates up, prices up, sales up. Everybody wants to buy. I think you got the same issue on the SBA side as the industrial. Curious as to what you think, but the smaller industrial user, the smaller industrial building, uh, worth owning it uh, so that I don't have to pay rent. Larger buildings, very difficult to find. Supply, demand. Absolutely. Difficult to find a rent. Difficult to find a buy. Nobody wants to sell it. They'd rather rent it for more money and just keep it. Are you seeing that? We're, we're seeing that in, in spades. It, it is unbelievable. I talk to a lot of industrial clients, uh, developers, everybody. Uh, they, they've never in their life seen anything like what we're watching. We're watching rents that we've never seen, sales prices we've never seen. As soon as you build it and while you're building it, it's being leased. It's probably going to be Amazon, by the way. It's going to be one of these these kinds of uh, tenants. Extremely healthy, extremely robust. That product is getting financed, non-recourse construction. Those are, you know, back to the lending side a little bit there. You know, there's there's very aggressive lending programs going on to build those projects. And so anywhere that you can get one entitled, anywhere you can get one built, you're getting it built, you're getting it financed, you're getting it leased, and you're getting it sold, and you're making a lot of money on it. And it's a great asset class. It's just, it's just, it seems like sky's the limit on that. I've never seen such optimism in that product. Yeah, no, everybody we talk to is an, from an investment standpoint says, I want to buy industrial. I say, great, you and everybody's brother and everybody's sister. I mean, take a number. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's going to continue because, again, you're back to the supply-demand issue, which is our theme sort of, which is you cannot find space to rent. You cannot find buildings to buy. And it, nobody that I've talked to says there's any slowdown uh, or any ceiling only because where else can you go? You'll have to go to a completely different market if That's you right. want to rent. That's right. And so we're watching some old buildings that maybe didn't have a, you know, there there could be some kind of a Quonset hut in West Costa Mesa. Now they're they're looking at those things. And, okay, what can I do with this? What can I? How can I regentrify some of the stuff to just pull some product that was maybe offline and putting it on? But there's some of that going on as well for these businesses. And, and that sort of dovetails into the other segment, which is the multifamily. We've actually seen projects that were slated for development for office or industrial just get scrapped and go to multifamily. We've seen office buildings bought to be torn down to build multifamily. 
And then we're seeing just uh, remodeling and renovations of, of uh, apartment buildings because that seems to be uh, the pinnacle of what's going on in terms of the marketplace it, for, it for segments. Like Laguna Hills Mall is a great example. Here is a mall that's been sitting down there in southern Orange County for 40 years. Obviously, it ran its course and now is completely being redeveloped. It's, it's being um, – they're shrinking it in terms of its GLA for retail, and they're going to convert it into medical office and a lot of apartments. They're going to – they know they tore down Sears. They tore down some other, other buildings. But there is an adaptive reuse uh, we're going to demall that thing and then turn it into more of a community retail center, but then surrounded by a ton of multifamily that will now then, there's your there's your population that's going to go serve that retail yeah. and medical office next door. So that we're seeing a lot of. Um, there may be even installing office office space inside of the third floor of a mall. You can go work in there and now you've got the mall. So it's 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 real interesting to watch watch. I love watching all of that. I think it's time. Some of that stuff was pretty tired product. It's great to watch it be reused and, you know, regentrified and in, in, in new investment opportunity. And is there enough demand for the housing and for the apartments to continue to pay these high prices for rent and continue to fill these new projects as they come online? I mean, are you seeing it? That is the great question. And look, let's let's all remind ourselves we're sitting here watching. There's a four million home dwelling unit deficit of housing in this country right now, which is hard to believe, but it's, it's that it's that deep. People are buying homes. You know what's going on with the price of single-family homes and for sale townhomes. They're going up. People, you know, can't really afford to, you know, a lot of people can't afford to move into those. So they're now, yes, moving into those apartments. So the demand for apartments continues to be as strong as ever. Vacancies are as low as ever. And yet the people that are affording to buy these homes are buying them. And so it's just, it's a, it's a, it's a phenomenon that's, how long can that last? Not sure. But it's, it's, it's going on. And in some markets, whether it's the Inland Empire, whether it's Phoenix or even Las Vegas, you have rents that exceed the cost of the mortgage. You could actually buy a house and it would be cheaper for you to buy the house yes. than to pay rent. The problem is to come up with the down payment, to have the credit to justify qualifying for the loan, to have the reserves that you need available, to have reserves to fix stuff when it breaks versus just calling your landlord and say, hey, something broke, come over and fix it. These are all factors, in addition to the fact that some people just don't want to own, they'd just rather rent and be flexible, that really, I think, still are going to continue to fuel the apartment rental market, wherever it is throughout Southern California. Yep, absolutely. And, and when we look at a loan that's a construction loan, we do the buy-rent analysis. So if we're going to go and finance a 200-unit building in, in Tolleson, Arizona, we're going to sit and go, let's go look at the homes around this thing. What are those costs? Oh, they're 400000 Just to exactly to your point, I can go and live there and pay about the same or less than this, this you know, $3,500 a unit, two or three bedroom that I'm about to build. That tenant is looking at it going, okay, I don't have to do a payment. I don't have to do a down payment. I don't have to worry about something when it breaks. I have freedom. It's a lock and leave kind of a program. And that's kind of what we've noticed. Um, some of the younger generation buyers are buying these. Maybe they're buying a home, but then they're saying, well, wait a minute now. I don't know if I want to fix that, or I don't know if I want to do all that work in the backyard. So they're now migrating back to the rental property, which I will tell you is given birth to something that we've talked about in the past, you and I, is this new asset class called Build for Rent. We have got customers and clients and big investors that are out buying, I don't know, 15 or 20 acres in Arizona, wherever it is, and they're going to build 150 single-family homes with garages and yards for their dog, two or three-bedroom homes. It looks like a home, it walks and talks like a home, and they're going to rent it like a home, and uh, it has amenities, and they get to 
live the life of of what a home is. There's nobody living above them. There's no hallway down to their to their door. That is the yield on that asset class is higher than others. So you can build that and make more yield on it. It's recognized by Fannie and Freddie as a as a as a, a permanent loan asset class. We certainly like it and are financing it at the bank. That's only about a two-year phenomenon, and that's that's interesting to me. And, and that's a completely new spin. And the reality of it gives the tenant the home feel. From yep. the builder investor standpoint, he just keeps the house and looks at it as an apartment, right. and and it's better than selling it because you just keep the cash flow, right? That's and right. So uh, while there may be some more maintenance costs over time because you have all these outdoor areas and things, if it's new construction, and at least in the short run, you, you don't have that because it's brand new. And, right. and so that also uh, fuels to the conversations I've had with other folks and, and even in our own portfolio of trying to create amenities, right? And trying to create outdoor areas, certainly a an apartment or a home with a big yard or a patio or a private area where people can hang out outside is going to have far more value than somebody that has a two foot long balcony. And that's all you get. That's exactly right. And these investors, by the way, go and map these so that in the future, if there's ever a, a reason or a need for them to not have them be all rental, they could then have the freedom to sell those individually, maybe to those tenants or to whoever, and, and convert it to a, to a for sale project someday down the road. That's just an interesting flexibility to, to that investor. The flip side, from the tenant's perspective, if it's me and I'm renting an apartment, I'm willing to pay a little bit more, not that I like it or want to, but if I have to pay more in a tight market, I want to get something for it. So right. I want the amenities, I want something nicer, I want something newer as opposed to I got my same old dumpy apartment and then they just raised my rent on me. That's right. I think it'll be interesting to see how that goes. The other side of it is, you know, what happens with cap rates, the apartment cap rates, the industrial cap rates, really, really low. And so is it your expectation that should interest rates move up going forward that you'll see the cap rates do that as well? I think they absolutely will. From an investment standpoint, they're going to have to those rents are going to have to stay. If we watch those interest rates go up, so must the rents go up as well. They're going to, they're going to have to do that to keep that, that, that positive arbitrage for the investor. Right now, rates are, are flat. You, 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 know, you heard Jerome Powell last week. He's, he's, they're not feeling that the current, we're not in the sustainable full employment yet. We're, we're, we're highly employed. We've got that low unemployment at the moment, but we've got, it's sort of, there's a, there's a false reason for why that's happening. So in about a year from now, when we get the supply chain issue dealt with, um, and we get to kind of a more normalized post-pandemic economy, we'll probably be watching 25, 50-plus basis point increase in, in rates. And that's, that's when we're going to begin, after 11 years, we're going to begin watching rates begin you know, ticking back up. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. So we've only got a minute left. Uh, in terms of your projections, while well, no one's got a crystal ball, but as far as the game plan for the bank, business plan for lending going forward. What are you seeing over the next six to 12 months? Uh, are you going to continue to lend? Are you continue to try and get out there and make deals? And, and, and what, how's it go? Couldn't be more blue sky to us. Um, our business plan at our bank, and it's very publicly known, is we not only do organic loan growth, where we, you know, we're doing loans, we're trying to find borrowers, we're, we're looking all over the West Coast. We also do commercial banking as well. But we also acquire banks, and so um, half of what we do is grow organically through loans. But the other half is is acquiring other banks that are either in geographic locations that we're not in, or have loan products or or products that we don't have. That's something you're going to see us continue doing. We are a consortium of 12 banks today at over our 20-year life, so we're going to see more of that. Our competitors are going to do the same, but we're bullish as can be about the future. There's no, there's no feeling of, wow, I'm worried about this or I'm worried about that. I mean, we've been a little bit on the sidelines on hospitality and things like that. We're watching that sector 
improve. We, we do want to do other things. We love multifamily, but we do want to be able to start lending on other things as well, you know, your retail and, and other, other projects. Um, but it could not be more bullish about our own, where we live, uh, West Coast, and, and our positioning as a bank in this market. So what I'm hearing is we're moving forward onward and upward. Absolutely. And if you need money uh, and you have decent credit uh, or good credit, uh, Pacific Premier Bank's a place to go. Absolutely. Come by. As always, uh, I enjoy chatting with you. We could talk for hours and hours, but uh, I appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your thoughts with us and, and much continued success to you and to the bank. And I think for our viewers and our listeners out there, the takeaway from today is that you're going to continue to see low interest rates. You're going to continue to see activity. I think you're going to continue to see, unfortunately, uh, higher rents on the industrial and the apartment side. And you've got to make do with the structure that you have in today's environment and, and try and make the best of uh, the opportunities that are out there. So for me, Barry Saywitz, thanks to all of our listeners. I want to thank Sophia, our producer. I want to thank Paul uh, Roberts and the entire team here at OC Talk Radio. And to all our listeners and viewers for tuning in again, I am Barry Saywitz, president of the Saywitz Company and Saywitz Properties. And thanks for listening to us again on uh, Let's Talk Real Estate. There you have it. You've been listening to Let's Talk Real Estate, your weekly BS with Barry Saywitz about the current state of the real commercial real estate market right here in Southern California. On Orange County's only community radio station, OC Talk Radio, streaming live from our studio here at the University of California Irvine's Beale Applied Innovation Center. <laughs>